And for the reading of God's word as we read our sermon text this morning. Our sermon text is taken from Acts chapter 6, verses 23 to 31. And when they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, pray with me in our time in the world this morning. Father, we come before you and your word. Acknowledge your word meets us in a timely manner. Father, it's for us a moment of reading for the hours. So would you speak to us today? Or word today. Challenge us, strengthen the weary soul on a beautiful day like today. Know that there are those among us are facing various trials, difficulties, stresses in their lives. Father, I pray that you help those of us struggling to lay our burdens before you this morning. Put on your grace and your mercy that you would sustain us now at this moment. We ask in your name. Amen. Well, today we are back in our secondary sermon. Uh, we're on a series through prayer, which means we get a, a double dose. We were in prayer last week as well in the book of Luke, and today we are in the book of Acts. Um, Prayers like these that we see today were recorded for our benefit. And they tell us a little bit about the people or the person that were praying the prayers, uh, what they believed, what they were thinking, and they also can serve as a model for us, uh, something for us to look back to when we are struggling to find the words to say in our own prayers. They also tell us a lot about God himself. If you look carefully at the prayers of the Bible, you'll notice that they are not just words to God, but they are also words about God. They are saying something about him. So, so keep an eye out this morning as we walk through this prayer and we see not only how the early church prayed, 
but also how their prayer teaches us about God himself. If you're taking notes today, we'll just pull out five brief points from our text this morning. Uh, The first one is that prayer must be our first response. Prayer must be our first response. Looking down at verse 23 in Acts 4 this morning. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together. Now this this prayer from the early church was specifically a first response to the events that happened in chapters 3 and earlier in chapter 4. Just in summary, Peter and John had performed a miraculous healing of a lame man who was more than 40 years old. So someone who had been lame for a significant amount of time and who the people there in the surrounding area would have seen frequently. So they knew this man and they knew that he was lame. And if you've been following along in our, in our primary series as we've outlined some of the, gospel, the, uh, the miracles of Jesus' ministry and the apostles' ministry, you'll know that miracles tend to have a, a particular result. Uh, something tends to happen right after a miracle is performed. It draws a crowd. You know, kind of like in the touristy parts of cities, you'll, you'll commonly find street performers, you know, on different alleys and down the streets, and, and you don't really have to take time to look around and find the best act. You really just need to find the biggest crowd. You find the biggest crowd, then you're more than likely going to find the most significant act. And when the crowd gathers here after this miracle, the Apostle Peter takes the moment and preaches the gospel to them. And so the people who came as a result of a miracle, something they saw, heard about new life in Jesus Christ. And soon after the miracle, the chief priests, the Jewish elders, they heard about it, decided to arrest Peter and John, keep them overnight so that they could hear their testimony. And the next day, they heard the salvation story of the gospel and the proclamation of Jesus' work, and they had, they had one request of, of Peter and John. And that was, stop preaching the gospel. They didn't say, stop healing people. They didn't say, stop drawing crowds with miraculous signs. They said, no, just stop sharing the gospel. Stop preaching. They knew that the people would have almost rioted, right, if they had commanded them not to heal. I mean, what a wonderful thing to heal someone who was over 40 years old and give them the ability to walk and to run. But they said, no, you can, you can heal people, but you can't preach. We don't want to hear the message behind it. We don't want to hear the power behind it. You can improve lives, but don't tell anyone what to believe. And friends, this has been and will always be the posture of the world. We'll take your good works, but do not give us your good message. That message is the gospel. Now, the early church here was facing the early rumblings of a, of a crisis. I mean, there was persecution that was coming, and really, from here on out, things would get pretty dicey for them. So they prayed. Now, there's a, there's a helpful and practical book I read le- recently about habits, and the author in this book talks about these, these seemingly small, tiny little changes that you can make in your daily and weekly routine that eventually morph and manifest into significant life change. 
So his point is that even the smallest of habits, often overlooked by most anyone else who would see them, can be the seeds to the greatest change and improvement. So if you want to change who you are or become something better, doing just a few small things intentionally will make that as a part of who you can become. So when life hits you, or hits your family, your community, your country, your first response, your first response to that crisis, that issue, will dictate responses 2 through 99. Your first response in a crisis will determine your trajectory for the remainder of that trial. And when our first response to anything that life throws at us is prayer, we are reminding ourselves and we're showing the world around us that we don't possess any control in our situation. Our first response is going to help. It's going to the God who is control, who is in control. Look down at verse 24 where they said, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign is it's a theological term that simply refers to total and complete authority. This wasn't just their arena. It wasn't the Jewish arena. This was God's arena. It was his context. When you have a, a conflict with a, with a co-worker, you can go to your boss because they have the authority to affect change. When you're having problems in the classroom, you go to the teacher because they have the authority to affect change. When you have concerns or relational conflict in your church, Hopefully, you should be able to go to your pastors or leadership in the church because they have been given authority to affect change. And the bottom line here is that God has total and complete authority in every realm of our lives and that we should and can joyfully go to him first in every circumstance, knowing that he has that power. As we see in 1 Peter we can cast all of our cares and anxieties on God, not just because he has authority, but because he cares for us. How many authority figures, how many bosses, how many teachers have also been loving friends? God only not, not only has authority, he has credibility. He is faithful and he is reliable. And yet, the world has rejected him. As we see in our second point, that the world is set against God. Looking down at verses 24 to 26. This passage comes from Psalm chapter 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. This isn't meant to be a political sermon, but it certainly has political implications for us. Like generally speaking, the kingdoms of the world and all of history have been set against God. There have been a few exceptions, but by and large, most of these have been set against God and against his people. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. We shouldn't be disappointed. We shouldn't long for the old days because the work of God is not found in the freedoms of any nation. The work of God is found in the boldness and the faithfulness of his people. Again, the work 
of God is found in the boldness and the faithfulness of his people. Because the world is set against God, and Christians are to be set in their boldness. You might have noticed that four-letter word at the end of verse 25. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The world is, is raging and working tirelessly day and night to extinguish the light of the gospel. And the, and the scripture here tells us that it's vain. It's for nothing. It's, it's futile. Their efforts will bring about no end result. In Matthew 16, Peter famously acknowledges Jesus as the Christ, and he answers him, Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church, the, the big C, capital C church, the global body of believers and followers of Christ who proclaim the gospel to a world heading for hell will not be overcome. It will not be overwhelmed. It will not see destruction. It will not see an end. One commentator put it this way, saying, the emphasis again is falling on the word vain. That is, why do the nations plot in vain? The enemies of God think that they are victorious against God's church. They crucify Jesus and imprison his apostles with impunity, and yet their actions are futile. And again, for us, how can the efforts of the world be futile? It is because they possess no real power or authority. They might make your life miserable. They might do all sorts of things to us physically, but they have no real power or authority. Which brings us to our third point in verses 27 through 28. Simply, God is in control. God is in control. Verse 27 says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So in verses 27 to 28, we see a direct parallel to the quote from Psalm chapter 2. So hear this first. This is Psalm chapter 2, 1 and 2. The nations conspire, the peoples plot in vain, the kings and the rulers of the earth against the Lord and his anointed one. And then the early church draws this direct connection as we see in Acts 4 verse 27 where they say, The Gentiles conspire with the people of Israel, Herod and Pontius Pilate, in this city against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. I mean, they caught something really significant in the scriptures because they knew them so well. I mean, have you ever, have you ever known a Christian who could just, in the snap, just relate a Bible verse to almost every situation? I mean, they just had something for everything. And to the rest of us, myself included, it can be inspiring or discouraging 
sometimes a little bit of both. And I think there are, there are many people in the church today who just have given up and feel like they're never really going to get a grasp on the Bible. They're never truly going to understand it like pastors, like Bible students. And sadly, I think some have given up almost even at, at working to understand the Bible because they know it's going to be explained to them come Sunday morning. But the Bible is all about people living day-to-day lives with day-to-day problems just like us. People who had families, they had jobs, they experienced real conflict, there was relational disagreements, there was abuse, there was racism, there was extortion, this whole list of things that many of us face today as well, simply living from one day to the next. There is so much for us to see in the Bible when we see God interacting with ordinary people like us. Well, here in Acts chapter 4, this particular church was new. They hadn't been around for very long, and they were simply doing the best that they could for God. And they understood that the Bible wasn't just worth reading, it was worth knowing. Indeed, even for them, they had the, they had the Old Testament and possibly uh, a handful of letters. But that was, that was their scripture. But in verse 28, they knew that the world was set against God. We see again here in verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The word predestined is similar to that word sovereign that we talked about earlier. It means that all the conspiring, the plotting, the raging of the world is still under God's authority and his control. It's not happening outside of his authority. As one of the famous hymns says, This is my Father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let earth be glad. It may feel at times like the world has all the power, all authority, and at times the majority opinion. But we know that it won't last. God is orchestrating his plans, and he will certainly execute his divine authority. Which brings us to number four. We pray, and God does the work. We pray, and God does the work. Look down at verse 29 with me. And now, O Lord, look upon their threats, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, I think it's time for us to take a good long look in the the spiritual mirror, just to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with myself. I mean, when we face difficulty, conflict, crisis, what's our first response? You know, maybe tomorrow, later this week, a month down the road, something comes up in your life and you remember, okay, prayer should be the first response. Great. Great. 
But I know personally speaking, I typically am praying for deliverance. I'm often praying for a way out or an end to the struggle, an end to the trial. And don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that we should not pray for deliverance and for peace. But I am saying that we are inclined to overlook our own responsibility in the struggle, our own requirement. We pray for God to bring resolution, but we don't consider particular ways that we might need to grow in a situation. Or we pray for God to work on our behalf, but we don't consider his working in us and through us. The early church clearly understood a foundational piece of what it means to be a Christian. Jesus says in Luke 9, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So Jesus says that if you would follow him, you're going to leave your old life behind and you're going to embrace his way. And what was the way of Jesus? The way of the cross was the way of servanthood and of suffering, ultimately to death. And here, the early church understands that to be faithful to Jesus in his suffering meant that they must continue to be bold and face their suffering. A commentator put it this way. He said, the community prayed for more signs to undergird the word, more boldness to proclaim it. They surely knew what the result would be, more persecution. Friends, are we hesitant to pray for boldness because we know the end result will be persecution? May the Holy Spirit convict us. And today, I think many of us can see the the writing on the wall. Persecution is, is coming. I mean, I believe pastors in our country, in my lifetime, are likely to face persecution, imprisonment, probably worse. Christians will be fired from their jobs. Friendships will be severed. Family will be disowned. Will we be bold? Or will we ask for a way out? May God's grace be upon us when that time comes. But our boldness, unlike the world, is not in vain. Our boldness is secure in the work of God on our behalf. In verse 30, we see, while you stretch out your hand to heal, while God stretches out his hand to heal, and the signs and wonders are performed through the name of your servant, Jesus. When believers are are bold in their faith, God works miraculously. And we're not doing that work. You know, it was said that Abraham Lincoln once said something along the lines of, you give me six hours to chop down a tree, I'll spend the first four sharpening the axe just to talk about how important the preparation is. And when we pray for boldness, we are sharpening the axe. We are sharpening the axe because we are sharpening ourselves. Prayer sharpens us and we are the tools. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus. That means if we're the tool, we are the axe and God is the one swinging it sharpening ourselves so that God might use us in his divine plan. If 
we are willing. You know, few things in life will knit your heart with the hearts of other Christians like prayer. Prayer can be simple and brief, can be incredibly heartfelt as even an outpouring of one's soul before the Lord. And as I reflect on just the groups I've been a part of here at Vine Street, men's discipleship with our college guys, small group, Sunday school, some of the sweetest times that I remember from those groups have been the times that were spent in prayer. I mean, in what other context do you regularly share your struggles with someone else who then shares their struggles back with you as you both bring your struggles before God, pleading him to work on your behalf? Prayer brings a real spirit of unity to those who would joyfully participate. Have you felt alone or, or isolated lately? I mean, just consider reaching out to someone in our church simply to talk and to pray. I mean, nothing will better remove our prideful self-absorption than when through prayer we consider the needs of others as more important than our own. You know, personally, just in the last few weeks, I've encountered just various stress in my life, and it's been incredibly easy for me to keep the spotlight on myself and to just stew in my own stress at the expense of anyone around me. And then a dear friend texts me and asks for prayer. His dad has cancer. And another dear friend asks for prayer. He likely has cancer. And my heart breaks and my circumstances vanish as I realize that death is hanging in the balance for so many around me. Friends, we all need prayer and we all need to pray. And I am reminded, as we have even seen this morning, that God is the one doing the work. And yet we still have a part to play, even after the prayers have been said, which brings me to our final point this morning. Number five is that prayer opens the door to sacrificial living. Looking ahead at verses 32 through 35. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. The prayer of the early church led them to boldness with the world and love for one another. It meant serving one another and putting the needs of others before their own. It meant sacrificing financially for those around them. Their bold witness gave them an effective generosity which again points us back to the book of Luke where Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross. The, the call of the cross, again, is servanthood and suffering is to live for those around you. 
as to serve those around you. The call of the world is to live for yourself. It's the life of autonomy. These two views are mutually exclusive, exclusive, which is to say that you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can either live for God and serve for the sake of others, or you will live and serve yourself. There's no middle ground. Your heart is either outward or pointed inward. However, if you find yourself this morning, like me, convicted and fallen short, it's a good place for us to be. Because none of this is possible without the work of God on our behalf. Today, would we plead with God to grant us boldness and to break down our own pride, to help us see the needs of those around us and finding real ways to serve. In closing, let me just echo from our text last week in Luke 11, where God says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. God has promised that if we pray for these things, for boldness and for humility, he will answer. Are we ready for him to answer? Let's pray. Father, would you give us grace this morning to admit our shortcomings and may your kindness and your mercy spur us to repentance and to obedience. You have called us to this great and this wonderful task that is too high, too wide, too far above even our comprehension. And yet, all you ask of us is a willing spirit. Father, I pray for those today who feel a sense of isolation, who are suffering without any friends or family nearby. Father, would you strengthen the weary heart to ask for help to ask for prayer, to reach out for community. Father, would you take those of us who are in a good place, Father, who are content and who are joyful in our walk with you, and would you give us your eyes to see the needs of those around us? Lord, may we as a church be a reflection not only of your gospel, but be a reflection of you as we minister to and serve each other. Would you keep our eyes on you for each of us in the time ahead for whatever trial or suffering may come our way? Would you give us boldness? Would you give us humility? Would you use us in each situation for your glory? We pray in your name. Amen.